Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for Concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-Centered Leader in Confessional Broadcasting, Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. Hello and welcome here to Concord Matters today, a special Concord Matters as we celebrate the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. Of course, that event always oriented around Luther's nailing of the 95 Theses to the church door, if he in fact did that. Historians are out on that. But uh, that's when we celebrate the Reformation. But really... The Reformation has always been about our confession of faith, this concord that we have with Scripture agreement in that Christian confession. And so it's a great privilege to have this opportunity to talk about our Christian confession, that Lutheran confession of faith on this 500th anniversary of the Reformation. I'm Pastor Sean Smith, your host today. I am the pastor of St. Paul's Wine Hill and Emmanuel West Point in Southern Illinois. I'm joined with a great team of pastors here today to talk about our Lutheran confession of I have Pastor Adam Matheny on the phone with us. He is uh, Associate Pastor at Our Savior Lutheran Mankato, Minnesota. We also have Jared DeBleek here, Pastor uh, Jared DeBleek, uh, Pastor of Trinity Lutheran Ministries in Edwardsville, Illinois, and also Pastor Merritt Dembski, Pastor of Emmanuel Lutheran in Waterloo, Illinois. Welcome, brothers, to the show. Great to be here. Great to be here. Glad to be here. Thanks. Awesome. This is indeed a real treat. And I'm just going to jump off on a real quick side here, especially to have Adam Matheny on here. He was uh, a parishioner of my very first parish in Indiana. And this, this young guy getting ready to go off to seminary actually started a study of the Lutheran confessions in that parish that I just kind of jumped at the opportunity to take over and uh, run and, and uh, taught there for several years as I was pastor there. And so now it's a great pleasure to have him as pastor on here to talk about the Lutheran confessions that he once encouraged to get started there. So uh, real pleasure to have you on with us today, Adam. Well, thanks, Pastor Smith. You're making me blush here, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good deal. And uh, also, for those who are listening today, you can call into our show. You can ask us any questions uh, related to the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, what we're reading here in the Book of Concord, or uh, you know, just anything that is uh, pertinent to the topic of our Lutheran Confession of Faith. You can call in at 1-800-730-2727. We'd be glad to take your questions and answer them. And also, as a special today, you can watch us on Facebook Live. Uh, so go to at KFUO Radio, and uh, we're waving at the, the picture here. Uh, those of you who are listening to us on radio or live streaming, you can't see us waving. So I thought I'd, you know, describe what we're doing there. But you can catch us on Facebook and watch us live here in studio. Uh, you won't see Adam Matheny. He's on the phone. But uh, uh, you can see the rest of us here. And uh, you can also send us messages there or also on Twitter at KFUO Radio as well. So that uh, are ways to interact with us. But I guess before we actually jump into the Book of Concord today, since we are celebrating the 500th anniversary of the Reformation... I think it's important 
to to get a sense of, especially as we're working through the apology of the Augsburg Confession here, and we have this very lengthy article that I'm a usual guest on the show hosting today, but usual guest, and we've been talking for months through this Article 4 slash 5 slash 3 slash whatever you call it, uh, that, that chief article of the Christian faith, the article on justification. And we often say and have said many times on the show over the last several months that this is the article that the church stands or falls on. And so as we celebrate this 500th anniversary of the Reformation, I guess I'd like to pull the panel of pastors here and each each of you uh, take an opportunity to talk about, are these things still relevant here today? I mean, 500 years later, are we over it yet? Does it still matter in our churches, especially as we're all pastors and everyday ministries there in a congregation or congregations, in my case, uh, serving a dual parish? Does this still matter to our people? Uh, Pastor Jerry, we'll start with you. Yeah, um, we would have a problem if uh, the Concord didn't matter, if uh, we're having the show. <laughs> but yeah. uh, but uh, absolutely, it matters. I mean, to be declared righteous by Christ in his own namesake and not in our own works or merits, that's a pretty big deal. To be, to be ones who are redeemed by Christ the crucified. Uh, I think about my own upbringing, not uh, being brought up in the LCMS, being brought up in a different Lutheran denomination, and uh, reflecting upon that, and maybe that some of those things could be touched on throughout our conversation today, but uh, looking to the confession of, of uh, the faith that uh, our synod stands firmly upon and uh, opposed to you know, a world that doesn't necessarily want concord, doesn't want uh, harmony with, uh, with the gospel, with, with what Christ says and declares about us and is constantly seeking to pick themselves up by their own bootstraps and become uh, anything that they want to be instead of all that Christ has called us to be. So it's a big deal. It absolutely matters. Yeah, and, and I think I will want to pick up here in a little bit. I want to give the other pastors the opportunity to answer that question, but I do want to pick up, uh, especially as I noticed today that we, we have two pastors here, uh, Pastor Mary and Pastor Jared here, that uh, both come from, uh, you, you weren't raised in the LCMS like uh, Pastor Matheny and I were, um, and uh, and have come into it. And and uh, as I've gotten to know each of you, uh, I, I've really appreciated about how both of you really have this this love and passion of the Lutheran confession of faith and, and really live that out very well in your ministries as I've had the opportunity to observe. So we'll definitely pick up on, on more of that. And, and you said in there that, you know, key to this, is that we're saved by the merits of Jesus, not Absolutely. our own merits. Uh, but I brought my own merits with me here today uh, and hoping that he's going to save me. Uh, and uh, Pastor Merritt Dembski, uh, go ahead and uh, answer that question uh, uh, about, is this still relevant? Is this still important 500 years later? Well, I'm going to strive, first of all, not to embarrass myself or my family or anyone else. <laughs> and then we'll, we'll get to the other part later. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, no, I think it's absolutely relevant. Uh, I didn't grow up in any kind of Lutheran uh, church body. I didn't grow up in anything that talked about church history at all. Growing up, uh, you might maybe, maybe hear about Augustine or, you know, someone you might hear about a church father, but never of uh, a significance just that they existed. You know, you never heard of anything. Uh, it was kind of like you had the Acts of the Apostles and then, uh, and then you had 1900. 
and it was pretty good, you know. <laughs> and that's and that's where things got good again, and uh, you know, or uh, late 1800s, or whatever, you know. And you didn't talk about any of that church history and what what happened. So I I grew up with a lot of maybe everyone's wrong, you know. Maybe there is no truth because you got all these churches that say all these different things, and so then uh, to uh, purely by God's grace, go to a Concordia. It was a music thing. Had no one, had no idea actually that it was Lutheran. I didn't know what was happening the first time I went to a Lutheran church service. And we gotcha. Was, yeah, yeah. I mean, the first time I walked in and had people chanting in robes, I was scared. I had no idea what to do. I had no idea what to think, you know. And uh, walking in and and then learning and understanding uh, that that whole history and and the the concord, that unity that we strive for um, is huge. And being able to say, you know, lay our cards on the table and say, here's what we believe. And we want to confess the same Jesus. We want to confess the same grace. And in terms of relevance today, absolutely. Like it's amazing to uh, hear people talk about unity being a matter of, I let's agree to disagree. Everyone can be right. Everything's whether you, whatever you believe about baptism or Lord's Supper, everything's fine. Everyone's right. And everything's the same. And to be able to say, no, this is what I believe. And I know this guy believes it. And I know this guy believes it. I know she believes it. I know that, you know, and be able to, to have that unity around who Christ is and that it's not about what I've done, what I can do, what Jesus as my, uh, my, uh, cheerleader can help me accomplish in this life, but that he forgives my sins and to realize that I am a sinner, that it's, that I'm not giving my life to Jesus every week, but he's come and forgiven my sins. And I get to hear that again and again and again. Come so. and pulled you off the junk heap as uh, yeah, exactly. you know, Bo Geertz in the hammer of God talks about quite well. Exactly. Yeah. yeah I mean, and, and, and so much in there too, what you were just saying too, I, I I've seen, um, you know, I love what you say there about, you know, to just lay our cards on the table and say, this is what we believe. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think, Pastor Jared, you might have to correct me. I'm 34 years old. Are you younger than me? I am. You are. Yeah. So all of the panel of pastors are younger than I am on here today. And yet here we are, you know, this younger generation and all you know, very committed to this Lutheran confession of faith, not just for its own sake, but because it actually is what we believe. We're not afraid to lay it out there. And it's just kind of amazing to me. Uh, in when I was in uh, parish ministry in Indiana, I was very intentional uh, campus ministry there, uh, much like you are, Pastor Jared, and uh, uh, worked with the University of Evansville there. And I saw that of the young people I was working with there too, that they they actually treasured, you know, this is what we believe. And they, and they, you know, gravitated towards that and grabbed onto that because in the midst of the world, it kind of says, oh, it doesn't matter what you believe. Your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. You know, they, they were drawn in by something that, that actually just said, no, this is what we believe. And, and I, and it really kind of began a change in my mind because for years that I would, I'd always heard, you know, the, oh, the young people, they don't really, you know, they don't care about the confessions. They don't care about these traditional things and, and things like that. And I've seen quite the opposite, true, uh, so much so that here on the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, 34 and under is a panel of pastors, four pastors talking about this today. So uh, anyway, uh, Pastor Matheny, one of those great young pastors, uh, well, he wasn't a pastor then, that uh, loved this Lutheran confession of faith and uh, uh, made it opportunity for me uh, to see that. Uh, You go ahead and uh, respond to that question. Is this still relevant 500 years later? Sure. I I think, um, you know, I was given the blessing of preaching on Sunday, Reformation Sunday, and it it really made me think about this question of 
the Reformation and why we celebrate it and why we continue to celebrate it 500 years later. Um, and it's easy for us, I think, as, as Lutherans a lot of times to focus on things that actually aren't central to our identity as Lutherans. You know, we like to sit in the back, oh, we're Lutherans, or uh, we like to have potlucks, or up here in the North, you know, eat hot dish is what we'd say. Uh, <laughs> you know, our identity a lot of times centers around those kind of non-essential things. Um, but the reality is, our identity as Lutherans is centered on Article 4 of the Augsburg Confession and justification by grace through faith on account of Christ alone. And this is the thing that we uh, hold up to ourselves and to the rest of the Church as the article of faith that we will simply not let go, no matter what. But I I have to say, um, in thinking about that, too, I think uh, this anniversary of the Reformation provides us with a wonderful opportunity. And I think this question in particular provides us with a wonderful opportunity um, to ask how this article is relevant because I think uh, we face a particular struggle in our day and time, in our churches and in our communities, that people don't see justification as a relevant thing. They don't feel the weight of their sin on them in the way that Martin Luther did or in the way that some of us old Lutherans do, right? Um, and so thinking about justification again on this anniversary and helping people to see and realize oh, what does it mean to be a poor, miserable sinner? What does it mean uh, that I deserve temporal and eternal punishment, right? And what does my justification mean? Oh, yeah, yeah, my sins are forgiven, whatever, right? But it means so much more than that. Our justification is the beginning of our new creation. It means that we've died and been resurrected with Jesus. It means that the creator of the entire universe is reweaving the tapestry of creation, and that one day soon, hopefully this afternoon, he's coming back and he's going to put everything right. And he's going to complete that work that he's already begun in us right now, this very day, in our baptisms. Yeah, that's very well said. And and I draw out of that, you know, we, we have in Scripture where Jesus tells us that the gates of hell shall not prevail against his church. That's a great Amen. promise. And that rightly understood by us as Lutherans has always been not about Peter, the person of who that is said to, uh, or, or any specific church body, but about the confession of faith that he makes there. And it's about the confession. And uh, Pastor Fisk, who usually hosts the show that I'm on uh, with uh, uh, here, and um, uh, he, he loves to say, you know, obviously, um, you know, that there's no promise that the Lutheran church will survive uh, for the sake of job security and things like that. I kind of hope it does at least my, <laughs> my lifetime, but, right. But, but there, there is no promise for that. And there's no promise for our individual con- uh, congregations, but pastor Fisk always loves to say, if there's any hope for the Lutheran church, it's in this confession of faith. And, uh, and I love the way he phrases that because it, it does, it draws to mind the, the gates of hell will not prevail against this confession. And when we rightly recognize what we sometimes become complacent in, and I don't want to speak for pastor Matheny, but I'll speak for myself as one who grew up in the LCMS. I would say I definitely fell on that side of complacency. Oh, I'm Lutheran. I know what it means to be Lutheran. 
except for when I realized I didn't know what it meant to be Lutheran, and it probably came about a little too late uh, or later than I would like it, rather, uh, to, to understand that. But to understand that, yes, I'm a poor, miserable sinner, and I am in need of Christ's merits to save me. And, uh, and that is where my whole hope rests, that I am justified by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. I mean, that that is our confession of faith. That's what Scripture teaches us. That's what the church stands on. And the gates of hell won't prevail against that. And what a great blessing to that. I guess the follow-up question I want to ask in terms of relevance of this article of justification, uh, as we're all active in parish ministry, um, how does this article still play out in our parish ministry to our people? How, how does this still play out 500 years later? You know, I think, you know, back at the time of the Reformation, uh, you know, the one of the reasons it spread like wildfire is that there were a whole lot of people who had a whole lot of opinions about scripture, except that none of them were reading it or very few were reading it. And, and I'm glad and, that doesn't help happen anymore. Right. Well, but actually my point is, you know, they were dealing with mostly an illiterate people. They were unable to read whether what, because it was in their, uh, in a language that they couldn't read Latin especially at that time, although certainly Greek and Hebrew, the original text there of the scripture, but they weren't able to read those things. It wasn't translated into their language. But then there was also, you know, part, a big part of the Reformation for Luther was, you know, uh, reforms in education, you know, and actually, you know, translating it the scriptures into the language of the people help them learn to read their own language and to bring some standardization, especially to the German language. So he was dealing with an illiterate people. And as that grew, you know, it really was teaching them the faith through these things. I would say we have more illiterate people, meaning people who are able to read, but choose not to. Right. Uh, I, I, I often make the joke and, and it's not really a good joke um, because it's kind of sad. And I've certainly fallen into this trap myself. You know, I say, you know, we have 32 Bibles in our house and none of them are read. You know, I, it, it's just kind of sad how often that can be true of us, especially as American Christians, where we have an overabundance of ways to access and read God's word which tells us of this and, and to read good resources like the book of Concord that really beautifully summarize our Lutheran Christian faith. Uh, and we just choose not to read them. So how does this play out in our parish ministry? How do, how do we still live the reformation and getting this article of justification, the truth of their relationship through Christ with God? Um, uh, how does that still play out in, in your uh, parishes today? Uh, Pastor Dembski, I'll start with you. Um, I'd say it's one of the biggest joys of being in pastoral ministry, of being able to share this. Because I'd considered ministry growing up, but never felt quite right about it. And once I uh, was going to the Lutheran Church, hearing what the Lutheran Church was saying, finally uh, was digging into the confessions more, talking to the pastors, you know, and came to that understanding. Um, and being able to, as much as I grew up hearing you're saved by grace and you're saved by grace alone, you know, still the visual that was always connected for me or was always presented was this picture like drowning in this sea of sin. And if you could just reach up and grab Jesus, who is that life preserver. And if you could just reach that little bit, then you can get pulled out and everything's good, you know? And then every week you'd wonder, maybe I didn't grab on tight enough. Maybe I didn't hold on tight enough. I sinned this week, and that's clearly not something that Christians do. And so I, you know, every week was 
the feeling miserable. And yet now, I mean, of course you had joy at times, you know, but you, you ultimately were sitting there going, did I do enough? Even though it's still about grace, even though you're hearing about Jesus, even though the words are there, the practical sensation inside is still focused on, did I something? Did I do enough? I did this over here. So maybe I'm not really that Christian anymore. And so now to have students come to my office or have people come to my office who are uh, having a difficult time, whether it's some physical ailment, whether it's an emotional thing, whether it's a sin they're struggling, whatever it is, and to be able to share with them that they're God's own child, that they are, they belong to Christ according to his promise, that he has done it all and that they can have that peace and comfort and, you know, people would assume uh, if someone comes in and unloads this huge, horrible thing, you know, that they're going to get yelled at and reamed at, and, you know, and yet they're sitting there about to cry and you can say, you're forgiven. Christ has forgiven you. It's not, well, come back in a week after you've done a couple things and let's see that repentance, you know, let's see that really show forth and then I can give you some peace. I can give that instant you're forgiven, not because I'm special, not because I'm some cool guy, not because, you know, but because Christ forgives you, because he has done it all for you. He has taken it for you in your place. And to be able to see the reaction that people have to that in those dark moments, you know, is beautiful. And yet, unfortunately, as we've said just now, uh, people don't realize their circumstance quick enough. Um, this past weekend, we had, uh, we were privileged to have Reverend Wilkin preach at church and he opened his sermon by saying, here's the problem. Sin doesn't feel like slavery on the text of Jesus saying, if the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. And that's the thing. If you don't know what sin is, if it's not presented to you and you don't realize your circumstance, then this whole thing about forgiveness sounds like who cares, whatever, doesn't matter. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I, how, how can the Bible tell me this week to be a better leader or a better this or a better that versus how can I hear that Christ is forgiven and now I can do the everyday grind of serving and loving and caring without wondering if I did it well enough or good enough because it's not because of what I'm doing. It's because I'm saved, I'm forgiven, and now I serve out of that love that's been shown to me. So it's, it's a beautiful thing to hear, but people don't always realize when they hear that law every day of did you did you did you they don't realize that it's that law until that day where they haven't done enough and they're wondering did how do i do more yeah yeah i always i always those who regularly listen to the show know that i'm a big cfw walther fan or anyone who follows who? me on facebook oh wait, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> gotta have that law gospel <laughs> distinction and uh and that really is key and i think that plays in here uh and 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 you you see that play out in the pastoral ministry and all the situations that you talked about there too. I resonate with as well. You know, when they come in, they're really struggling, you know, with those sins that are weighing heavy, it's that burden. And, and it can really kind of create a, 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 a hatred towards God, much like Luther had, you know, when, when that law is nothing but what it is a heavy burden upon us. Mm-hmm. And, and when that gospel comes in and just frees you, I've seen it more often, um, and praise God for this, that it comes to them at, at, at a time they need it, but when they face death. Yeah. And I remember one parishioner that I visited uh, as he was facing death. Um, he said, you know, my whole life, I, I just feel like I've, I've tried to strive to do my best, but I felt like I was spinning my tires in the mud. 
And I heard that and I was like, he needs some gospel. <laughs> Law gospel distinction made easy here. He needs gospel. And it was just amazing. You could visibly see the peace that came over his face when I proclaim that gospel to him. And and he just beautifully, beautifully, uh, you know, uh, died at peace there with his Lord. Uh, Pastor Mathena, I'm going to throw it to you with about two minutes left before we need to take a commercial break. Uh, go ahead. And uh, how does this play out in your pastoral ministry, this, this article, this confession of faith? Well, I think, um, uh, you know, kind of piggybacking on what you and Pastor Dembski just said, you know, I'm, I'm not sure actually that there's any more beautiful words in the entirety of the English language than upon this, your confession, I, by virtue of my office as a called and ordained servant of the word, announce the grace of God in, unto you. And in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all of your sins. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is simply uh, an amazing, cosmic, world-breaking event that takes place in our lives, um, whether you're a pastor or a parishioner, at least once a week, right? That this God that made everything is now reaffirming to you his justification that he has saved you and is even now, right now, saving you through these simple words, these plain means of some guy, you know, saying some words. I, I um, wholeheartedly agree with you there. That Those are the most beautiful words uh, in the in the English language or in any language. And ironic here, I just want to mention right before we go break, that that was like the one big innovation that Martin Luther made to the divine service liturgy. He added the confession and absolution to the beginning of the mass, uh, specifically so that people could examine themselves, rightly prepare themselves to come receive the Lord's Supper and, and, and receive that holy absolution and approach it with good confidence, knowing that this is Christ for them. That was true over 500 years ago. Still true for us 500 years later. And uh, this is Concord Matters. Thanks for tuning in. Come back after the break. We will continue talking about this beautiful confession of our Christian faith, Christ Jesus, for you. Come back with us. Concord Matters is a production of KFUO Radio. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere, since 1924. Text the letters KFUO to 41444 to join the legacy with your tax-deductible gift. Liturgical art is a beautiful expression of Christ's great love for us. I'm Kelly Schumacher, founder of Anya Stay Arts, and I would like to help you learn about liturgical art and the beauty it portrays as you view it through paintings, drawings, sculptures, and altarpieces. I'm available to speak with your group. My website is anusdayarts.com, A-G-N-U-S-D-E-I-Arts.com. Three things make a believer. Orazio Meditatio, tentatio, prayer, meditation, and growth. Which is why every weekday morning from 7 to 8 a.m., we bring you Orazio, an hour of solace, contemplation, scripture, sacred music, and faith. Orazio, the dawn breaks with prayer every morning on Worldwide KFUO. 
Concordia University, Wisconsin, and Mequon overlooks a half mile of beautiful Lake Michigan shoreline. CUW campus is located 15 miles north of Milwaukee, with over 70 undergraduate majors, 28 graduate degree programs, and doctorate programs in pharmacy, physical therapy, occupational therapy, and nursing practice. CUW offers online learning and accelerated learning at one of nine Wisconsin centers and one in St. Louis. Traditional or accelerated education, CUW has the program for you. CUW.edu. Hi, I'm Pastor Mark Hawkinson with an invitation for you to join us for an enjoyable Christmas lights tour aboard a Mid-American bus. Friday, December 15th, historic Perry County churches that'll be viewed include Hill of Peace, Saxony Lutheran Memorial, Concordia Frona, Trinity Lutheran in Altenburg, where you will hear the Perry County Lutheran Chorale. Emmanuel in Altenburg, and a wonderful dinner at Mary Jane's in Perryville. Call me at 314-996-1520. 314-996-1520. Martin Luther wrote his 95 theses on October 31st, 1517. And according to legend, nailed them to the castle church door in Wittenberg, Germany. Luther had become frustrated with what he believed was an abuse of power by the church in the sale of indulgences. These could be purchased, in effect pardoning a person of their sins. His 95 theses outlined his concerns. As it became widely read, Luther was summoned to arms on charges of heresy. When challenged to recant, he refused. My conscience is taken captive by the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything. Luther believed the Bible was the authority for the Christian faith, not the church, and that everyone should be able to read it for themselves. Engage with the Bible, this book of all books. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. Welcome back to Concord Matters, a special 500th anniversary of the Reformation, Concord Matters. Our Concord does still matter. Our Christian faith, this confession of faith of which the gates of hell shall not prevail against, does still matter. It mattered over 500 years ago. It definitely mattered 500 years ago as the Reformation was going. It still matters today. I'm Pastor Sean Smith, Pastor of St. Paul Winehill in Emmanuel West Point in Southern Illinois. I'm joined today with Pastors Adam Matheny, Associate Pastor of Our Savior Lutheran Church in Mankato, Minnesota, Pastor Jared DeBleek, Pastor of Trinity Lutheran Ministries in Edwardsville, Illinois, and uh, Pastor Merritt Dembski, Associate Pastor of Emmanuel Lutheran in Waterloo, Illinois. So, Right before the break, we we're talking about how this plays out, this confession of faith, especially this article, uh, Article 4, Justification, Relationship to Good Works, how it plays out in our pastoral ministry. Pastor DeBleek, go ahead and respond to that question. We didn't get a chance before the break. Sure, there. no problem. You know, I was thinking, uh, you're talking about C.F.W. Walther, and, all, and then he's you, the guy. He's the guy. Yeah. And, and you, like the American Luther. And, and you were talking about all of our ages, and I'm just wondering, do you think C.F.W. Walther was under 30? Well, yeah, I mean, he was right around he there. Looked it right. Yeah, early on. Yeah, I think so. he was. I think he was always over sixty. Oh, okay. <laughs> is that what it is? Yeah. I think so. Well, I think well, it, you just have to watch out for young pastors that come out of South St. Louis. And you guys may not know I'm from South St. Oh, okay. Louis, so yeah, okay. you know, we 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 make things happen. <laughs> just, all right, we're way off topic. Go ahead and let's get let's get back on track here. Uh, but yeah, thinking about you know CFW Walther and uh, kind of uh, other. Um, patriarchs of the Lutheran Church that uh, 
really upheld this central doctrine of justification. And during the break, we were kind of just chit-chatting a little bit about uh, kind of the amazement of of what we actually get to witness on Sunday mornings, in and out of actually Sunday morning, right? Uh, but uh, also throughout our week as pastors and uh, alongside our parishioners, and the joy of bringing that good news of of justification to their ears uh, so that they may know that Christ has declared something particular about them. And we were talking about uh, the miracle of, you know, performative proclamation that the, that the word actually, the word of God brings about the very things that it um, uh, uh, states. Um, so when Jesus calms uh, the, uh, the, the heavens, with a word is how he does that. And with a word does the pastor stand uh, in the stead and by the command of Christ and proclaims the good news of, of forgiveness of sins, uh, not on account of the works that the con- gathered congregation has done, but that the Holy Spirit is the one who has gathered us into this place to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, not only uh, at the beginning of the divine service, uh, but uh, in the preached word and to receive that justification upon our lips for our very nourishment of faith in receiving Christ's true body and true blood at the altar. Yeah, we call that grace upon grace. Grace right? upon yeah. I mean, grace, just Absolutely. over and over and over again. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, we we were chit chatting, like you said, in, in in the break there here in studio about uh, kind of our realization when we recognize that's what we're doing in a sermon is that performative action. I'm actually doing justification to my hearers uh, on Sunday. And there's an aspect to our preaching, of course, that Im- includes teaching. We're teaching the Word of God, but when we recognize that you're you're actually getting something done to you. Uh, Christ is being, this justification is being done to you. It performs something in you uh, through that spoken and, and active word that, that, oh, that's life changing when you come to realize, um, you know, this is, this is what's being done by, by the strength and power of God's word in me as I'm hearing that. And uh, of course it happens all throughout. I love, you know, that beautiful imagery of, you know, receiving that justification onto our lips, you know, mm-hmm. in the Lord's supper. It's just beautiful. Absolutely. And it's all by God's mercy, all by God's grace. Did you have anything more there or did I cut you off? Sorry. No, that was perfect. I was just thinking of of how the word isn't our word, right? It's the preached word is Christ. And I think this is, you know, as we get deeper into our article today, this is going to be the, you know, one of the main controversy and and confusion is that um, that word really isn't Christ. It's, it's something else. What is that word? Um, You know, this gets so... Uh, conflated amongst uh, Rome, and and they they mingle it with uh, uh, faith, but faith with works, because they don't really understand what faith is. That faith isn't our own; it's a gift to us. And just to add on there, to think about what church is or what our gathering together is, you know, uh, if if our gathering together is just to hear something motivational to encourage us onto more good works or to teach us something that we might not have known before, you know, then, yeah, we can understand why I don't need that today. I think I got enough. I can read my book at home. You know, I'll do that stuff. But if God's word is living and active and it's being done to me, then I'm going to want to be there. Not as a, you know, to, to actually be there to have his word spoken to me versus just there's important words and they're good and I'll catch it later. 
Yeah. Sure. But God himself is breaking into that congregation and actually doing stuff when we gather together, not just learning some new stuff necessarily, though. Of course, you can learn stuff, but things are happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I re- remember the old words of uh, uh, Reverend Dr. Norman Nagel. He used to say, a God who is everywhere is as useless as a God who is nowhere. What I need is a God who has promised to be somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's exactly what's going on here. He's promised to be here present through his word and sacrament. These are the primary marks of the church. That's where I can find them. And you better believe I'm going to move everything in my schedule to make sure I'm where he's promised to be. Because if he's everywhere, I recognize he's everywhere. He's omnipresent. I know that. That's the teaching of scripture. But I need to know where I can find him, where I can find that comfort for my troubled conscience as it's being weighed down by my sins, my multiple sins. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Beautifully said. All right, let's actually get into the book of Concord here a little bit today. Uh, I think it's important conversation that we've had here and, uh, you know, just this importance of the 500th anniversary of the Reformation of this, this, our Lutheran confession of faith. But the book of Concord, uh, is a great resource to go to, um, to, uh, to receive this Lutheran confession of faith, what it really is. And, uh, we are in the apology of the Augsburg Confession, so that uh, written response to the the Catholics' response to our Augsburg Confession, uh, saying what we believe as Lutheran Christians, we're teaching nothing strange in our churches, and uh, this. Uh, uh, and then the Catholics came back with their response, the confutation. And then we have the apology, our response to their Catholic confutation. And this is a long article. It's Article 4, Article 5, Article 3. It depends on what book of Concord you're using. And the reader's edition of the uh, Lutheran Confessions, Concordia of the Lutheran Confessions, uh, published by CPH, uh, the publishing house of our church body. Um, here it calls it Article 5 and in parentheses 3, love and fulfilling of the law, but it is still very much connected to that Article 4 on justification. They flow one right into the other. And in this very long uh, response here, uh, we are in paragraph 213 or also in brackets 334. It gets really confusing on all of this. You know, I've listened, but this is my first. Could we do just a 45-minute summary leading up to where... I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. Um... (laughs) Yeah, palpitations. <laughs> I, I, was, I was gonna, I was gonna make uh, my merit, um, you know, play that out for me uh, since he asked the question. No, uh, but we this this section here that we're about to pick up with in paragraph two thirteen or three thirty four um, of this article uh, has a, a titling there: "Salvation is by God's mercy." I mean, what is the Reformation about if it's not this, right? And and here they kind of get a little snarky. Here is. Um, uh, especially this like time that. going through uh, uh, on the radio of this, uh, we've realized, or I've realized more and more, just how really, I mean, he wouldn't have said snarky. He's a much more educated man, but Philip Melanchthon, who wrote this, uh, how snarky he can really be here in the apology. But uh, I'll read a few lines. On Twitter. What's that? He kind of belongs on Twitter. He kind of belongs on Twitter. No, um, that 140 <laughs> character count would not fit Philip Melanchthon in the slightest. Um, maybe Facebook these days where you can have longer posts that nobody reads. All right. Uh, not that I have a problem with that or anything. But uh, here, picking up uh, paragraph or line 213. Here, Christ's declaration also applies. So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We've only done what is our duty, as said in Luke seventeen ten. 
These words clearly declare that God saves by mercy and because of his promise, not that it is due because of the value of our works. But at this point, the adversaries play wonderfully with Christ's words. In the first place, they turn his words around and then turn them against us. Even more, they claim it can be said, if we have believed all things, say we are unprofitable servants. Then they add that works do not profit God, but works do profit us. See how the childish study of slick logic delights the adversaries? See, there's that snark. (laughs) Although these foolish things do not deserve a response, we will still reply to them in a few words. The reversal of words is defective. In the first place, the adversaries are deceived regarding the term faith. If faith would signify historical knowledge that the wicked and the devils also possess, the adversaries would correctly argue that faith is unprofitable when they say, when we have believed all things, say we are unprofitable servants. But we are not speaking of historical knowledge, but of confidence in God's promise and mercy. This confidence in the promise confesses that we are unprofitable servants. Yes, this confession that our works are unworthy is the very voice of faith as appears in the example of Daniel 9:18, which we cited. We do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness. Faith saves because it takes hold of mercy or the promise of grace, even though our works are unworthy. All right, I'm going to go ahead and pause there in the middle of a line if you're reading along with us. But go ahead and uh, reflect on these uh, words here, especially this this um, uh, definition. And it's happened uh, many times throughout this uh, uh apology article of what faith is and and how this really clings to God's mercy and promise. Uh, Pastor Matheny, I'll start with you. Sure. Um, You know, he makes the comment there that that faith isn't just historical knowledge. It's not knowing that Jesus was a man who walked around in Nazareth. It's not knowing, uh, you know, being able to locate Israel on a map or something like that. Faith here is trust. It's actually believing what God says about you in his word and through his servants. So we were talking earlier about the absolution. When I proclaim that to my people, faith in them is believing that their sins actually have just been forgiven. Right? It's actually trusting God's word in baptism that he's placed his mark of the Holy Cross both upon their forehead and their heart. Yeah, and and as we talked about here before, too, I mean, just this being a part of the Lutheran confessions, that word confession from the Latin confessio literally means to agree. And so we're simply saying, yes, I agree with you, Jesus. I am a poor, miserable sinner uh, who has received your mercy, that, that sign and seal of my baptism, making me a child of the kingdom of heaven. And uh, and that's what our faith is. It's clinging to that word of promise. Very well said. Pastor DeBleet. I, when I when I read this first part here, I think about kind of the historical context with um, with the with the uh, conf, uh, confutation, and uh, what, what you see here in in paragraphs two sixteen through two twenty two is this focus on Luke seventeen and what it means to be um, an unworthy servant, and it it, it appears at least in my you know, brief reading of the confutation is that, you know, Rome wants us to believe that, that uh, how dare we, how dare we say that works don't go along with faith. And uh, what Melanchthon effectively uh, says is, well, this is their rhetoric. They, they use the very thing that the scriptures actually are against in order to 
uh, uh, prop up something that actually isn't even a part of the scriptures, which is that works uh, contribute to your salvation. Uh, the, the rhetoric that uh, I think that we read, uh, you don't really see it here in this translation, is uh, 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 antistrophe. I'm probably getting that horribly wrong, but that rhetoric... Just of, say it with confidence yes, and everybody will uh, believe that, uh, that word. Um, <laughs> yeah, too late. That, uh, that, <laughs> yeah, sorry, I'm sorry. Um, but uh, this rhetoric of, of uh, turning around something that that is contrary to the Word of God and propping it up as if it is the Word of God uh, so that works, again, go along with our salvation. And what Melanchthon does is, is uh, helpfully and effectively states that, no, this is not what the Scriptures say, that they are... Uh, that was to say, but at this point, the adversaries play wonderfully with Christ's words. Um, in the first place, they turn his words around and then turn them against us. You know, this is this should be far from us. We should look at God's word, um, confess what it's saying, and uh, what it's saying is again, it's not this historical knowledge. It is uh, a confidence that uh, Christ has actually delivered something to us outside of ourselves, outside of our works, and that thing is called his promise and his mercy. And uh, these things come and are delivered to us through the Holy Spirit so that we may receive them and have eternal life. I was uh, I immediately thought of Romans 4 at the beginning of this, and I looked through and saw that they had made reference to it earlier. Um, thinking about if we get a paycheck at the end of our work week, we're not like, boy, thanks for this gift. That was swell of you. You know, like, <laughs> it's like, right. No, it was, that's what I got. Cause I earned it, you know, but a gift is, it's a gift. It's not anything you did. It's not anything that you're going to do. It's not a bribe. It's not, you know, I think a lot of times we talk about, uh, uh, our works as what we do in, in response to a bribe, like, I'll be nice to you and I'll save you. Now you got to do the work stuff, you know, like that kind of thing versus here's a free gift. And now we do work. We do praise our Lord and we do um, uh, live out that life of faith as his disciples. And I, I use this example with uh, high schoolers and stuff that, you know, if, uh, if they wanted a new iPhone, you know, like the iPhone 10 is coming out or you know, pre-order or whatever, you know, if someone's super excited and they really want one, I'm just like, here you go. And I hand it to them. Well, what do I have to do? Nothing. Here you go. You know, are you going to go home? And are you going to say, you should have seen it. He asked me a question. I raised my hand. He called me up and then you should, I put my hand out and I grabbed onto the phone. You should have seen it. I grabbed onto it <laughs> and I pulled it back to myself and I put it in my pocket. No, you're going to say, he gave me a free phone. Like, it was amazing. Like, he, he, he gave that to me. And yet, it's so subtle in our culture, and, uh, and not just right now, it's happened through history, but to turn that gift into looking at what we did about it. So that faith then becomes, look at that faith that I have. Look at that faith that I've, you, versus you're saved by grace through faith, and this is not your own, but a gift. You know, and even that, that faith itself is a gift. So you, there's no part of it that you can say, boy, look what I did. <laughs> you know, there's no part of it whatsoever. And that's, so. and that's the whole point of the Luke, Luke seven, reading Luke 17 in its context. That, mm -hmm. uh, does he thank, versus verse 9 of uh, chapter 17, does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? 
Uh, so also when you have done all things uh, uh, you were commanded, say we were unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. You know, the, the thing that they were told to do, that's what they accomplished and they did, and that's what they were supposed to be doing anyway. You know, do we get a pat on the back because we were doing what we were supposed to be doing? And all the more when it's in relation to salvation, uh, that, um, you know, these things that we are doing or anything that we might say, oh, God, look at me, you know, really it should be, well, I was faithful, but I've only been doing what I can as a man. I've only been doing my duty, and uh, I haven't kept the law. I haven't been perfect. Uh, mea culpa, you know. God be merciful to me, a sinner. And, and that's what we have. That's our place before God. And that's what makes the justification all the more sweeter. And that what, that's also what makes our life, a, you know, our, our sanctified lives, our lives of holy living, all the more sweeter, too, because they are predicated not on our good works, but on Christ who actually puts those good works in place for us to do. And, and it's beautifully supported in Scripture, too, right? I mean, Absolutely. the picture we get on the last day, according to the Gospel of Matthew, right, is when you have the separation of the sheep and the goats out there, right? Uh, and Jesus says, you visited me when I was in prison. You clothed me when I was naked, right? You fed me when I was hungry. And, and what, are the, what do the sheep say? What are the ones who receive the gift of eternal life say? When did we do these things? I wasn't, like, I wasn't even aware of it. I mean, it's just amazing what happens. Uh, and and it's, it's, it's just tying into, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just living the life that I am called to live. But, but for, for Rome, the teaching at that time, and I do think we still, you, you talked about it a little earlier, Pastor Dembski, of how we still see this in what I generally call broadly American evangelicalism. I think it's the new Catholicism of the Middle Ages rein, reincarnated, um, to pull in a Hindu term way out of there. Anyway, but uh, so, so when we have uh, this, um, this misunderstanding of that, you know, is historical knowledge of Jesus that makes it possible for me to be saved, right? Is kind of what they're teaching. But I have to do my part. I have to contribute. I have to do the good works. It becomes a synergism, we call it actually, right? You know, that I have to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and do these things. I have to do these things in order that I can actually be saved and be found worthy on that last day. Whereas the nature of it is, is you are saved. That burdens off your shoulders. You don't have to worry about that anymore. Have a good day. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah and, right. and then you're like, well, that's great. I don't have to worry about that anymore. So I'm just going to keep doing what I need to do. And when I recognize how, how woefully short I do fall of that perfection that is demanded, um, I say, God have mercy on me, a sinner. And I continue to confess that and, and being renewed and strengthened through his word and sacrament to live a life of faith that leads into good works. And, and not even just the historical knowledge of there was a Jesus and not, and I see a lot of times it seems like there's a knowledge that there's this sin thing there's this knowledge, there's this forgiveness thing, but not this confession that it applies to me directly. Like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a sinner. I know that's true, but we don't like really understand what that full significance <laughs> means when we say that. It's just like, oh yeah, I know that's true. I know I'm forgiven. That's good. Now I got to go do this other stuff that's really good now, you know, without actually having the faith of what that significance is. Yeah. And, and even it's here too, to if say I'm a, it's easy to say I'm a sinner. It's hard to say what sin I committed. Mm -hmm. Right. It's yeah. easy to say I'm forgiven. It's harder to hear I by virtue of my office, right? <laughs> Forgive mm -hmm. you all your sins. Because that suggests you did something. <laughs> right. And and to even recognize that that absolution is for that sin and to believe that right. 
promise too. I mean, uh, yeah, we 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 often struggle with you know, I I. I I, I hear so many times in my pastoral ministry, I've even made the mistake myself of saying, you know, I'm not sure God can forgive me for what I've done here. And it's like, well, then I'm not trusting the promise that Christ did die for this too. This He, he died for this very sin. And, uh, and, and actually, you know, what we call the unforgivable sin, the sin against the Holy Spirit, is rejecting that promise. And, and yeah, this, this historical knowledge, too, to come back to what I was going to say before I went off on that side thought, which was a good thought, um, but uh, was if it was just historical knowledge, then, then why aren't the fallen demons, the fallen angels, saved? Because they clearly know Jesus. They, they have the knowledge. I mean, they even confess it in the Gospels. You know, they know who he is and what he's there to do. Um, but but they're not saved, um, and, and it's because of rejection of the promise for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, let's push forward just a little bit more here. So I'm going to pick up where into uh, line 217 or 338 there. Understood this way, namely that our works are unworthy. The word reversal does not injure us. When you shall have... When you shall have believed all things, say, we are unprofitable servants. We teach the same as the entire church when we teach that we are saved by mercy. But if they mean to argue from these similar statements, when you have done all things, do not trust in your works. Also, when you have believed all things, do not trust in the divine promise. There is no connection. These statements are not alike. The causes and objects of confidence in the former statement are very different from those of the latter. In the former, confidence lies in our own works. In the latter, confidence lies in the divine promise. Christ, however, condemns confidence in our own works. He does not condemn confidence in his promise. He does not wish us to lose hope of God's grace and mercy, attacks our works as unworthy, but does not attack the promise that freely offers mercy. All right, with just a couple minutes here, Pastor DeBleek, uh, what's what's Melanchthon saying here? Well, I just find it somewhat comical in a way that uh, he just has to lay it out very... Um, in a very elementary way, isn't it in Hebrews where it's like, do we have to go back to the elementary things? Mm-hmm. You know, um, a little bit of milk and meat here going on here. But uh, these statements are truly not alike. Um, uh, you know, if if one and in one case you're 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 seeking to trust in your works, uh, or you're questioning whether or not you should trust in your works, and then the other, on the other hand, you have uh, should I trust in the divine promise? Uh, apart from works, you know, these are these are not comparable things. Your works do not save you. This is the overwhelming uh, confession of the scriptures that your faith is secured in Christ. It is uh, the divine promise, His grace that saves. Well said, Pastor Demsky. A couple seconds for uh, parting thoughts here. I agree. All right, well said. Concord, you heard it here first. (laughs) Thanks for your confession. (laughs) Actually, we are going to move on to Pastor Matheny then, because that really is a beautiful... Pastor Matheny, parting (laughs) thoughts from you. Sure. Uh, Just the beauty of the fact that uh, when when you got grace, good works come in with it like for free. Mm -hmm. Our works avail us nothing before God, and because of that, we're free to use them for the good of our neighbors. It's, it's an incredible blessing. Yeah, I don't fear good works flowing forth from a living and act of faith. Confidence that Christ died for me. I am saved by God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus. This has always been our confession. It has stood over 500 years since 
This is the Christian confession that has existed from all time uh, of exactly how we are saved, but renewed 500 years ago as Martin Luther taught it. We're thankful for that. We're thankful for uh, great, faithful confessors and pastors who joined us today. Pastor Adam Matheny, Associate Pastor of Our Savior Lutheran Mankato, Minnesota. Pastor Jared DeBleek, Pastor of Trinity Lutheran Ministries in Edwardsville, Illinois. And Pastor Merritt Dembski, Associate Pastor of Emmanuel Lutheran in Waterloo, Illinois. Thanks for helping us out today, brothers. Church, thanks for stopping by and keep confessing.